Your questions are all over the financial map today on Your Money, Your Wealth, and Joe and Big Al are going to do their best to explain when the real estate depreciation 121 exclusion happens, how to account for rental property equity or cap rates to calculate your retirement income, plus naming estate planning beneficiaries and making charitable donations, stock market investing inside of a limited liability company or LLC, making sense of the national debt, the differences between Roth 401k and traditional 401k, and finally, the fellas can't escape the backdoor Roth and Roth IRA conversion questions, so they'll answer a few of those too. I'm producer Colossus Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Giant Joe Anderson CFP, and Big Al Clopine CPA. Hi Joe, Andy now. Jim from Santa Cruz calling. Did he call? No. He put that in quotes because you often say that even though it's all emails. Joe, did you notice that I listed your name first? Well, thank you very much, Jim from Santa Cruz. Also, I drive a 20, uh, 2013 BMW. Wow, Jim is snazzy. <laughs> I have two questions. Uh, my wife and I plan to rent out our home during our first couple of years of retirement. I understand we will take depreciation. Like, he's seen it in quotes. Like, he's really not going to do it, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, got it. Yep. <laughs> Depreciation during that period, uh, but that we will eventually have to give it back. How does that work? When does it happen? So how does the short-term rental period affect the $500,000 tax exemption when we try to sell our house in five to 10 years? So let's start with that one. So he's got a house in Santa Cruz. He's going to rent it out for a couple of years. He's going to cruise around in his BMW or something. And then he's going to come back and then live in the house and then potentially sell it. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the rule that he is referring to, it's a section 121 exclusion. That's where you get a $250,000 gain exclusion per person, married couple, 500,000. So what that means is if you have up to $500,000 of gain as a married couple, uh, when you sell your home, you sell your residence, you, you, you get that for free. You don't pay any tax on that. If your gain's greater than that, then you'll pay capital gains. Now, it gets a little trickier when you rent out your home. Uh, so you have kind of a mixed-use uh, property in, in a sense, some, some rental, some residence. It always depends upon, Joe, um, what, uh, where you start. Uh, if it started as a residence, then you're much better off than if it started as a rental. So that's what it sounds like. This is Jim's residence. So we'll, we'll assume that it, it was his residence originally, maybe still is, but he, then he wants to rent it out and then come back and live in it again. So uh, a couple things. It doesn't uh, in that example. It doesn't affect the exclusion. You'll still get the two hundred fifty thousand or five hundred thousand full exclusion, but any depreciation that you took during the period of rental, let's just say that's ten thousand dollars, just to throw out a number. That was a tax deduction that you got. Then you have to you have to record that as income in the year that you sell the property. So you still get the five hundred thousand dollar exclusion, but you have to pay taxes on the depreciation that you took. Now, in most cases, depreciation that you take as a rental for most people, they 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 don't get to deduct it, right? Because of of the passive loss rules. So perhaps that depreciation would get suspended, and then when you sell it, you get to take that, and it offsets against the income. So no harm, no foul. 
But I guess I'm saying a lot here, Joe. You're going to say I'm saying too much. Yeah, I mean, I, I lost. I mean, I heard Annie in your background doing <laughs> dishes or something, so I totally lost everything. <laughs> but but I'll go back to another point. And and whoever wants to understand this, just replay this a couple times and you'll be, <laughs> be able to unpack it. So uh, another point is is people say, well, then I'm just not going to take depreciation because I don't want to pay it back. And that's not an option, right? You, you have to take depreciation. Whether you take it or not, the IRS treats you like you took it. So you might as well take it. You might as well get a tax benefit. And then you just pay back that same benefit in the year of sale. If you never sell your residence, you never pay the tax on that. So that's what I got you. Got it. <laughs> you like that? Yes. So, all right. He's also got a question um, on a high deductible health plan. So, he has an HSA and a high deductible health plan, uh, but I'm changing jobs in November and my new employer doesn't have the high deductible health plan. I have contributed $4,000 to my HSA during 2020. Uh, the family plan, con- uh, the family plan contribution limit is 4,000 or 7,100. Can I still make the $3,100 for 2020, even though I no longer have the high deductible plan? If so, do I need to make this contribution during 2020? Uh, thanks, as always, for the awesome show. Well, yeah, you need to make the contribution in 2020. If you're not going to have the plan in 2021, you won't be able to make the contribution. So I would put – here's here's my, here's my take. As I would just put the $3,100 in it, you know, and then um, go from there. Yeah, that's that sounds good. <laughs> I'll right, yeah. because it, you know, I mean, splitting hairs now. It's a, but I would make the contribution this year, right? Right. So, um, I don't know. Hopefully that helped. Jim from Santa Cruz, thank you very much. I uh, got hello, Al, Joe, and Andy. Uh, thank you so much for answering my question on rebalancing a stock and bond portfolio in a down market while in retirement. Your answer was direct. And will be simple to implement if it makes sense for us to do when we retire. By the way, my wife did not believe Joe was not Big Al. I explained that Al got his nickname from his big brain. But she would not believe me until I showed her the YMYW YouTube video. This is Tom from Linwood, um, Washington, by the way. Tom. I would like to hear your thoughts on how to account for the equity in our rental property to calculate retirement income cash flow. Okay, Al, you with me? I'm with you. You're looking for cap rates, I I believe, here. As a reminder, um, I'm 57, wife is 62, and we plan to retire in two to three years. We have a globally diversified total return portfolio consisting of pre-tax, post-tax, and Roth accounts. Um, Tom, yeah, I think Tom's got a lot of cash, if I remember right. Um. He likes to brag about it. You guys get along famously then. Yeah. But I don't have any cash. Big Al. That's Big Al's called that because of his wallet as well. He's got a big wallet. That's what you like to say. That's why he got a big bad back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have we have owned a rental property for eleven years and we intend to keep it um for at least eight more years and sell it before I take Social Security at 67. The rental property is cash flow p- positive, and I estimate the equity uh, will be about 22% of total cash flow. Okay. 
So the rental property is cash flow positive, and I estimate the equity will be about 22% of the total cash flow generating assets. Okay. Um, at the time we retire. So the cash flow from the rental property is going to calculate 22% of his needed income. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. My dilemma uh, to meet our expenses in retirement, we'll need to draw down the stock bond portfolio at 6% a year. Obviously, this is too high of a drawdown percentage. However, if I include the equity in the rental property, the drawdown uh, becomes more 4 or 5% or no, 4.5%. Do you think it's reasonable to include the rental property in the drawdown calculation? Thanks, Big Al. Giant Joe in Colossus <laughs> Col- Andy. Colossus Andy. Colossus Andy, giant Joe. I could say something very inappropriate, but I'm. But not. that would be inappropriate. Yeah. Um, I would be like you, but you're very restrained. That's no, good. Okay. All right. Um, well, so a couple of things, Tom, is that it's okay to take a six percent distribution rate in your early years as you're letting your Social Security grow. Right, Because there's going to be multiple years and multiple triggering events that's going to happen. So he's looking at straight, hey, I'm bridging this gap to retirement. I'm going to have some uh, retirement income through my real estate. uh, But everything else is going to have to come from my brokerage account. And then that's going to be a 6% draw rate. And then from there, right, then his Social Security kicks in and so on and so forth, which would be maybe even um, a 2% rate. So you've got to look at it kind of in a bigger – he's looking at it in a vacuum, I think, year by year, which um, you don't want to do. Yeah, and I, I think the, the way I would say it is I, I would not include the equity uh, owner in this calculation because it's, 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 what, what it, it's not available, right? It's, it's, it's a cash flow. He could flow. sell it. He could sell it. If you sell it and end up with 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 uh, liquid cash that you invest, then yes, at that point you count it. But in this particular case, you know, you take your spending need and you subtract out your net rental income, right? And then you have your shortfall and you divide that in your portfolio, which is what it sounds like he's doing. Uh, and I think another point is is if you're eligible for Social Security, I would actually plug your what your Social Security into the computation to see what it is. Maybe it's 4% that you're taking if you took Social Security early. And then it's like, okay, it's actually not that bad. So I can afford a 6% a while because I'm letting my Social Security grow. So that's maybe another way to think about it. Or another way to look at it, too, is that, all right, take the rental income out and then put the equity in the equation, right? So you got to pick one or the other. So he's using uh, hypothetical. um, He's spending, let's say, $75,000 a year and $25,000 is coming from rental income. So a shortfall is fifty grand. Makes sense, and he's like, okay, well, here if I pull from my portfolio, I have eight hundred and some odd thousand dollars. So that would be a six percent draw rate. Or you say, you know what, get rid of the twenty five thousand dollars of income and put the equity within the the asset mix. So you add, let's say he had eight hundred thousand dollars of of assets. You add in the equity there, but you take the income out. Yeah, but if you do that, you want to make sure that you've got a conservative valuation on the property and add in closing costs and maybe even add in taxes, right? So anyway, so it's if you're going to go that route, just just be, uh, I, I guess, be true to yourself in terms of what you really can net out of this if you actually sold it. Yeah, well, if, if, let's say it's a million-dollar property, and then he's got 
a, a ton of equity in there, but it's renting, you know, poorly. The cap rate's terrible because right. where, where the hell does he live? Like, he, he lives in Linwood, Washington. Where's, um, I don't know where that is. Is that, um, it's up north. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, um, yeah, okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know what 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 properties go um, for up there, but there's there's multiple ways to 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 do the the calculation and kind of in a back of the envelope type thing. Uh, yeah, just I to think see. I think the main the main thing, Joe, is what you just said is it's it's okay to have a higher distribution rate for a while if Social Security and or pension is coming later. Yeah, but he's also might be doing this because. Uh, I mean, Tom's writing to us like we remember exactly what his net worth statement is, you know. But let's say if you have IRAs and 401ks and then he's got a brokerage account, then he's got this rental income. And he's like, I'm not going to touch my IRAs and 401ks. I'm trying to convert those. And I think something like that. And he wants to spend down his brokerage account. And so he's just looking at that one account and he's doing the, the, the division in the one account. I've seen that before. Well, hey, I have this account. I'm pulling 6% out of this one account. I go, but you have three other accounts that have another million dollars in it. Who cares, right? You got to take a look at um, the grand scheme of things. All right, Tom, I appreciate your uh, the question. Your dilemma makes our shows come true. So if you got a dilemma, you know where to go. Go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com and give us your latest dilemma. Your Money, Your Wealth is also where you can load up on more real estate investing information. Whether you're just getting started buying rental property or you've got some experience and you're looking for ideas, I've put some free resources from Big Al in the podcast show notes to help you on your journey. Check out Al's video on how to start investing in real estate and listen to his interview with small apartment building investor Terry Moore on how to use rental real estate to build legacy wealth. Download our free guide with 10 tips for real estate investors too. It's all free. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app or visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com to go to the show notes for today's episode transcript, access all these free resources, and send in your latest financial dilemma. Um, Al, I got like 10,000 Roth IRA questions that I'm just boycotting right now. Well, then we're going to have a pretty short show, I believe. I mean, I don't know how many times I got to tell people to stop with the Roth conversions. All you got to do is listen to one episode and then you're good to go. Yeah. Right. Well, apparently not, because people keep coming back. And asking I, I, we got like questions. Fifteen pages of Roth backdoor Roth mega backdoor Roth. It's like well, this is not the mega door back Roth IRA show. Give me something else to talk about. I'm gonna kill myself. Well, apparently we're not clear at all. That's why they keep asking. Jeez. You're talking well, circles. Marcus. Yeah. Marcus saved the day though. He, he he asked a question. Hello, Joe, Al, and Andy. Uh, what are the pros and cons for an individual investing in the stock market inside a business entity, specifically an LLC, instead of using a personal taxable brokerage account? I heard people say this works well for families, but haven't got clear benefits. Thank you. Continue the great work on the show. P.S. And then nothing. He forgot to put his P.S. apparently. He, Marcus, he a, let uh, us know got, what your postscript is. He got interrupted, I'm sure. Right. And then he just hits in. And notice he didn't say this time that he's from Tennessee, Alabama. He just said he's from the South. He is from the South. Yeah. Tennessee, Alabama. Right. We, we know Marcus. Yep. Okay. All right. So I don't know what the hell he's reading. I, I mean, yeah, you know, some of you guys too out there, you don't need to listen to every single financial podcast out there. And then you come to us for clarification on stuff that you've heard a snippet on. Right? I mean, True. so he wants to invest in, what, what, a family limited 
partnership or he's he wants to set up an LLC to invest in stock market funds versus yeah, think, yeah he, he's going to set up a limited liability company and he's going to invest in mutual funds in the market yeah so in in terms <laughs> let's just start right there there's there's really no advantage that i can think of other than it's a different name than your own and maybe it's a little easier to hide but i'll tell you what nowadays with internet searches and and all kinds of background checks attorneys can find out what you own and where you own it so i i don't think that's that great a deal uh so there's really no specific reason to invest stocks in an llc however uh, i think you hit upon it joe which is if if you want to do a, a state a, an advanced estate planning technique called a family limited partnership that is a way to do that and what you do is you set up an llc you contribute stocks or cash and buy stocks or whatever so the llc owns stocks and then slowly over time you give fifteen thousand dollars of value i guess to each beneficiary so it stays under the gift tax limit and you slowly trickle out some of these assets to the kids now as it's as it's given they they take over the same tax basis that you had so if there is a sale they'll pay tax on the sale but at least you get it out of your state if you're if you're up over that 11 million dollar level or 5 million in 2026 so that it can be a strategy but just just to invest just to set up an LLC to buy stocks i, I can't think of really any reason to do that yeah uh, th that's an estate freeze so if marcus has a large estate it was trying to avoid um, or or using some advanced tax strategy to avoid the estate tax or the death tax uh, there's ways to gift assets outside of your taxable estate into a non-taxable estate. So you're gifting it out of your basically control. You're setting up a family, you know, company and you're gifting shares of your wealth, um, you know, because it could be more than stocks and bonds. It could be real estate. It could be whatever um, in, into this other entity uh, that would avoid um, estate tax um, on your passing. So, yeah, um, it's more it's more common, Joe, with real estate to do this yes. strategy. Well, I, with I, a, I, with an LLC for sure. Yeah. Like, right, you have rentals. Um, it's you would set up an LLC to buy, you know, to 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 title investment property because of just the liability of renters falling, tripping, breaking their legs, suing you, or doing whatever. That, that's right. So you, you'll have um, umbrella insurance. You may have liability insurance, uh, but an LLC limits your liability to the equity in that asset or the equity of all the assets in that particular LLC. So that makes sense. But you don't really have liability for owning stocks. You, it's just a it's just an investment. Unless they're listening to something and saying, hey, you can get corporate tax rates versus individual. But an LLC is a flow through entity. Yeah, they'd have to invest in a C corp, which would be the dumbest idea of all, because now you've got double taxation. So yeah, don't do that. <laughs> um, all right, Marcus. Hopefully that helps. Um, let us know what the PS. You know, <laughs> what do you think the PS was? I don't know, Joe. I think Joe. I think you do a great job, Andy. Now, half ass <laughs> at best. I thought she would. I thought he would say Andy does a great job, and you and I are marginal. Yeah, well, we are marginal. I, I got to <laughs> pump knows my that own we tires. Already know that. <laughs> I got to pump my own tires here. You know. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, because yep. nobody else does for you, Joe. That's nobody right. else thinks anything highly of what you have to say. That is correct. Right. Yeah. Yes. All right. We got Clint. Uh, he writes in from Florida. He goes, "Hi, Andy, Joe, and Big Al." 
can you help me to understand the huge U.S. national debt, currently at $27 trillion? I remember my high school economics class, the debt has something to do with GDP. However, the only way I can foresee our national debt decreasing is to add taxpayer um, and or rise taxes on everything from income to estate. So, yeah, we could have a big baby boom. Get a lot of people, more people in the workforce. Yeah, that's one way. Or open the borders, get more taxpayers in here. And then you got, um, or you can raise taxes. Um, how much time do we have before the debt hits the fan? Oh, look at Clint with his little clever conversation here. <laughs> yeah, that is clever. Thanks for the entertaining and informative podcast. Thanks for adding to it, Clint. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I remember when I, I I used to say something stupid like that to you in one of our workshops. It was um, w- about taxes rising, right? So right. it was Social Security, you know, was insecure, um, healthcare, right? Yeah. Um, and then inflation, and then pension plans. So right. SHIP, right? And so yeah, I write did. that out, and then I was like, "Well, when is the ship gonna hit the fan?" I yep. do remember that. Yeah, three people laughed out of like yeah. a thousand people in the auditorium. Yeah. That was that you was stopped, great. Stop doing it. Yep. <laughs> After that, it was like, okay, let's not do that one anymore. <laughs> I stole that too from Ed Slot. Oh, you did. Yeah, he, it works better for him apparently. I guess so. Yes. Maybe maybe it has to. Maybe it's funny for other advisors, but not like yes. people that are just trying to listen to the content. <laughs> yeah. So now his question is: Are you dragging this out because you don't really know how to answer the question? No, the no, debt is going to okay. hit the fan, and there's a, a few ways that it's going to. W- what will happen is that well, we could grow ourselves out of it, right? That could happen. Yeah, if we stop increasing the debt. With inflation, it's gonna we're be, gonna pay it back in cheaper dollars. So that is one way to go. Um, another way is probably to increase taxes, and I think that is a a very pretty good guess that that will happen. Yeah, that when he when he asks about GDP, gross domestic product, there it's it's unrelated to the the national debt. However, what economists like to do is they like to compare the national debt to gross domestic product. Uh, And when it gets too far out of whack, like for example, Greece uh, was way out of whack. Their debt was way lower than ours, but so was their GDP. And we're not economists. I can't tell you that, that, you know, the magic ratio, uh, but obviously uh, Italy was another one. Portugal was another one. Spain was another one, but Greece was the worst. Uh, it is an issue. It's actually a huge issue that we're going to have to tackle. And at the moment, our politicians don't seem to want to tackle it. So, yeah, we're going to have to we're going to have to work on this. But the, the the main ways you work your way out of this is increasing taxes or growth, stopping stopping contributing the debt and growth, which then ends up paying this off in cheaper dollars. Yeah. Well, you get increase in revenue. And so you yeah. keep the tax rates the same. You get yeah. more tax dollars because of the increase in productivity. Yeah, well, that's the that's the idea of supply side economics. Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Maybe we should get Chris Thornburg back on here, we, <laughs> so we could ask a bunch of dumb questions. Oh my god, economy. he just makes you feel like a total idiot. Um, yeah, you it, remember when I remember when I said our. I remember this question. I said, you know, now that our, our national deficit is is like at that point eighteen trillion, he goes, Oh, that's that's the year. This is the year. 
<laughs> that's the national debt. debt. I said, yeah. oh, sorry. I said, right. Yeah, we're like, we're doing a little pre, pre, uh, pre-show. Um, I was like, yeah, so what do you want to talk about? He goes, well, ask me anything. I go, well, all right, well, how about this? He goes, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, well, I got nothing. <laughs> to start talking. How's the economy? You're the, you're the economist. <laughs> oh, God. He's a good guy, though. I like yeah, him. I liked him, but he yeah. was he was direct. That's yeah, why we had Brian better. Perry interview him last time. <laughs> yeah, he was on. Good. Yeah, a couple years ago now. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I was on that too, and I let. Yeah, Brian I think you were. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not very good <laughs> at asking economist questions. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Chris was on. Let's see. Uh, actually, it was July 2019. It just feels like it was about 10 years ago. Oh, did you uh, did you take economics in college? Yes, I did, Joe. Yeah, killed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I went to University of Florida. It's mandatory. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I took it too. Yeah, it was hard. It, it was a toss-up um, to be an economist <laughs> or, or this or, or whatever the hell I am or a bartender. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> a bartender's coming up soon. So yeah, I got it. We got an estate planning question now from CK. Okay. We'll do our best. We're not estate planning attorneys, but we'll do our best. She goes, I'm a single old lady. I want to complete my will. All right. So she's got a few questions. If, Well, first one, if I sign beneficiaries on an IRA Roth annuities, can these go directly to beneficiaries without going through probate? Very good question, CK. And yes, the beneficiary form is one of the most important estate planning documents that most people have. Uh, because yes, this will go straight to the beneficiary without, you know, messing around with any attorneys or probate or even go through the trust if you name an individual um, as the beneficiary of those accounts. So, very good there. Any comments on that, Al? Uh, nope, that's that's accurate to my knowledge. Got it. Okay, number two. If I donate to Silicon Valley or similar companies to make America great. Or if I donate to medical and educational or qualified nonprofit agencies, which one is more beneficial? <laughs> that sounds like a political question. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that is all about. Well, let, let me just say, if you give to a charity, which is in the tax code, it's uh, it's got these letters and numbers, 501c3. And as long as they're a charity, it doesn't matter. I'm from a tax deduction. You get the same tax deduction uh, in any charity. If it's a political deduction, you don't get a tax deduction there. So it has to be to a a, a charity, 501c3. Uh, But in terms of which is more beneficial, if you're saying tax-wise, it doesn't matter. If you're asking me which is better for our to make America great, that's a personal opinion. (laughs) With... um... Which is more beneficial, I guess. If, if if you go to a nonprofit, right, that's where you want to go. That's where you get the biggest bang for your buck. So just 501c3, just make sure that it's a qualifying charity. Um, and, yeah, you, then you w- – w- so what is the ruling now, um, Alan, in regards to uh, stock or cash gifts in regards uh, to deductions? Yeah, it's a great question because a lot of times when people think a contribution they think cash only but you can actually give stock or any appreciated property for that matter and so at the date that you uh, make the donation whatever the value of that stock is becomes your tax deduction 
And so it's definitely preferable to give your appreciated stocks. In other words, the other choice, if you want to give to charity, would be to sell your stocks, pay taxes, capital gain taxes on them, and then donate. Uh, but you can actually donate them directly without selling. Then you get the full deduction uh, for the valuation, but you don't uh, you don't pay any capital gains tax. So that's a, that's a great way to go. And then is there a limitation? Let's say if I um, – because there's a certain percentage of AGI that you can actually um, – a deduct on your tax return? Yeah. So uh, for a cash donation, uh, it's cash or check, I should say. It's 60% of your income. If it's uh, appreciated stock, it's 30%. So in other words, you make 100000 a year. You can give away 60000 if you write a check. You can give away 30000 if you um, give appreciated stock. And the way it works, if you want to give sixty and still deduct it, which would be an awful lot, but let's just say you did, then you give away $30,000 of appreciated stock, and then you give the rest in cash, and you still get the full $60,000 deduction. If I give $60,000 in stock, um, so that's 60%, but I am only able to write off 30, I can still carry over that 30,000 loss or that 30,000 the following year? You can, and so you go through the same computation again in terms of the ability to deduct, and it carries over for five years. You know, obviously you can deduct it in the year you make the donation, but then it carries over another five years. So you have six years to deduct it. So unlike a capital loss carryover, which is indefinite the rest of your life, a, a, a contribution carryover only lasts five years. See how I'm just dragging him along here, Andy? <laughs> It's like, I do. Wow. I noticed you're just feeding him the questions. I'm and like, come him on. Go. I go, let's let's go here, bud. <laughs> you get a tax deduction. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Al. You're high high value today. Oh, big uh, time, man. <laughs> as a single person, uh, no taxes on five million. I need a good strategy. Please advise me. Thank you very much. Uh, not sure what that question means either, Al. Well, I think she's talking about the uh, estate tax exemption, which right now is is what eleven point two or eleven point three million, something like that per person. It's scheduled to go back to that five million plus level in twenty twenty six. So maybe her assets are in excess of that. I don't know. And she wants it to go to her beneficiaries. Uh, if that's her question, <laughs> uh, then uh, yeah, there are all kinds of strategies in terms of setting up advanced planning and trusts and family limited partnerships, and that's more than I want to get into right now. But um, yeah, because you're, you're you're barely hanging on with just talking about a <laughs> charitable contribution on your tax return. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's as we record this, it's more it's early morning in Hawaii, so I'm still drinking coffee, Joe. Give me a little break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i mean don't you don't you think that's your question yeah i think so okay. I, I don't know what what people write us out is yeah sometimes it's i mean that's half the fun trying to figure out what they're really asking right <laughs> I, mean, I, I, got a, I got a question from a client yesterday uh about giving um their ira to um charitable remainder trust and and I said, no, you can't do that. And she said, well, you said a year ago that we could do that. And so then I'm just trying to think, what now? What is she really trying to say? And I think what she was trying to say was the qualified charitable distribution, uh, you know, giving money directly from your IRA to a charity. But she she said charitable remainder trust, and the and the and the item that we were talking about was a beneficiary IRA, which you can't even do that. So <laughs> anyway. 
that was that's that's part of our uh, that's part of our activity, right? Which is trying to figure out what people are really asking. Yeah, but um, you could name a beneficiary the charitable remainder trust to kind of preserve the stretch IRA. Uh, that's a strategy that we did talk about at a tax seminar a few years you, ago. You can't. I, I agree with that. But you can't gift an IRA into a charitable remainder trust. And that was the question that was posed to me yesterday. Got it. Got it. And well, then, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, terminology that goes I know, out. And I know, so, right. Um, I just have just have to back up and say, okay, what what could she be thinking? What are, what, What's the actual question? Yeah, right. Got it. All right. If you've got some complicated money questions, it's a good idea to get some help with your financial plans before you put them into play so that you don't screw something up and cost yourself or your family a bunch of time and money. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and sign up for a free financial assessment. But do it now. As we approach the end of the year, the calendar is filling up. While you're there in the show notes, you can also download our estate plan organizer. Just fill it out with all your financial information, give it to your family to make it that much easier for them to manage your affairs or settle your estate when the time comes. And you can listen to that interview with Big Al, Brian Perry, and economist Chris Thornburg on the state of the economy in July 2019. Remember way back then before COVID-19? Check it all out now in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And yes, you can even send in your Roth conversion questions. Uh, Jason writes back in from good old St. Paul, Minnesota. He goes, hey, thanks for responding to my question on show 295. That was a great show, Al. Yeah, I, I think that was one of our best. Once we got to 300, we fell off the wagon. I think. <laughs> 300, don't listen to it. Um, hi, Andy. 300 is going to be all derails, by the way. Got it. Oh, perfect. Okay. Hi, Andy and Big Al. Uh, you were right. It is me more than my wife. That is into the whole FI and financial planning thing. I was running an errand when I heard the podcast. Hi, Joe. Once I got home, my wife and I had dinner playing the podcast on a speakerphone. You all made her belly laugh. Well, that's good. I like making bellies laugh. Uh, Love it. I want to clarify my question and add a little bit more detail. All right. Let's see what you got, Jason. Uh, my wife started a new job and contributed to a 401k there. She kept her previous 401k RSP from the previous employer at Fidelity. Uh, we each want to start doing annual $6,000 backdoor Roth contributions. Does the RSP need to be rolled into her new 401k to avoid the pro rata rule, or is it excluded because it's still a 401k? I wasn't sure if it changed when she left the previous employer. Thanks again for making a show about personal finance, entertaining, and always educational. Um, so, yeah, you could keep it in the RSP. It's fine. That would still qualify for the backdoor Roth. What does that stand uh, for again? It's a retirement account through um, her old employer. Oh, okay. So you don't know what RSP stands for. <laughs> yes, I do. But it's early in the morning in Hawaii, and I haven't had my coffee. <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> So um, uh, yeah, that that is retirement correct. savings plan. I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah, just throwing something out there. Probably a good guess. Yeah. Um, so uh, here's your clue on this pro rata rule. If it doesn't, if it doesn't say IRA in the <laughs> account name, it's probably not included in the pro rata rule. So 401ks, 403bs, 457s, TSPs, th- those are not included in this pro rata rule for IRAs, which uh, is important when you get to backdoor Roth. Um. So you could. Roll it into her new 401k um, if they allow, and th- that one make things consolidated. 
and easier, or you can just keep it in Good. the RSP there at um, Fidelity. So yeah, either but, way. Yeah. yeah, either way. You don't need to, but you can. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess, Jason, I, I be, um, the, the other questions then for you as well is, well, how much is in the overall account? You know, since you're doing, I, I think if I remember right, Jason's a little bit younger, um, but I could be just making this stuff up. He, he can't be that young if he's sitting there listening to us at dinner. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I don't know, you know, some of these FI people, they're really into it. <laughs> okay, we got Sid from, from Kansas. Uh, does a Roth conversion count in Maji? Um, I want to convert $140,000 from my IRA to a Roth IRA. My income this year will be um, at around $100,000. My wife doesn't have any income, and we file jointly. I'm able to do a Roth contribution this year. Or does the $240,000 of income make me ineligible for a Roth IRA contribution? Uh, good question, Sid. Great question, actually. Yeah, a con- uh, Roth IRA conversion does not uh, is not included um, in the modified adjusted gross income in purposes for you to be eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA. So if your adjusted gross income is uh, under, what, $196,000, I'm guessing, um, one ninety six to two hundred six, I believe it I, is. I think that's what it is for twenty twenty. Yeah. So he's at a hundred thousand. He's like, all right. Well, if I do this conversion, now it's at two forty. So that puts me over the limit. Uh, but they take the one forty conversion out of the computation. So you're still eligible to do a Roth IRA contribution. Your wife would still be eligible to make a Roth IRA contribution, um, and you can do the conversion of one hundred forty thousand dollars. Um, so you're good to go there, Sid from Kansas. Haven't had yeah, a lot of people it, from Kansas. Yeah, we have. I was going to say the other thing is uh, Roth contribution does not count either, right? So if you did a Roth con- contribution that put you into where you couldn't, you, you, your wife could still do one because that doesn't count either in terms of this computation. Well, Roth contribution is not going to add income to your tax return. Ah, uh, true. Never mind. That <laughs> it's early in Hawaii. It's going to be early in Hawaii for the whole show. It is. The coffee has apparently not taken hold yet. Would you have some Mai Tais last night? Uh, t- I had two Maui Big Swells. They're really good. The IPA. Spent a lot. Okay. You know, if you do a Roth IRA contribution, <laughs> it, that won't affect your baji. All right, right. good point, Al. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, We got Jeremy, the supply chain manager uh, from Cookerville, Tennessee. Cookville. Cookville, yes. Uh, I've never been there. And and I remember, Jeremy, that he doesn't care for his wife that much. (laughs) That's not true. He just figured that they should have been saving into his accounts instead of hers because he's so much older than she is. Yeah, by like six months or something. (laughs) Andy, Joe, and Al, uh, my company will be offering a 401k with a Roth option starting in 2021. Uh, currently, we just have a regular 401k option. I often have a hard time articulating the benefits of a Roth IRA versus a traditional 401k. Can you help me out with how to explain the benefits of a Roth 401k over a traditional 401k to my coworkers uh, who may ask me what my option is? Wow, so look my at, opinion is on it. Oh, what my opinion is. I'm sorry. Um, here's what I would rattle off if someone asked me right now. So he's kind of the go-to guy in his company. I guess. Oh, yeah. He's a supply okay. chain manager. He's a, the advisor to other yeah. supply chain managers. He listens you know, he, to YMYW, <laughs> so he's, he's tight. Uh, we're going to send him a T-shirt. 
<laughs> we need to have some first. I want one. Oh, yeah, God. We, we do need one. What's it, what's it going? What color is it going to be? No, oh, it's going to be blue and white. Yeah, right. the blue and the gold. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be Jeremy's advice, right? So we'll, we'll role play this out. Um, let's say my name is um, Kenneth. And, my, and I'm going to go to Jeremy because I'm a supply chain manager. And I'm like, hey, Jeremy, you know, I heard about this Roth 401k. What do you think? Jeremy's going to say, Roth grows tax-free forever. No required minimum distributions. If taxes are higher in the future, you win by doing the Roth now. With a Roth, you can take contributions out anytime without penalty, which could come in handy to bridge the gap for someone to retire before 59 and a half. Shifting retirement dollars to Roth may be able to assist with tax bracket management when you start drawing down your retirement. These are the talking points. So that's I was my Jeremy impersonation. Pretty good. <laughs> it, was, it sounded like a lot like you. It, it, was, that. it, it was dead. It was dead on. It was perfect. <laughs> uh, these are typical points I talk about with a normal Roth IRA, but would also add that there's typically more and better investment options in a Roth that is not managed by my company. If someone asked you guys, what, why should I switch to Roth? What would you tell them? Thanks for all you do. Um, all right. A couple things, Jeremy. I like where your head's at. Uh, Roth IRAs do grow tax-free forever. There will never pay taxes on those again, given current law. Um, however, in a Roth 401k, there are required minimum distributions. Uh, so you would just roll that into a Roth IRA. Um, Roth IRAs do not have a required minimum distributions. Roth 401ks do have a required minimum distribution. Um, the biggest thing I think is that you have to look at what tax bracket that someone's in and how much that they're planning on saving long-term. If they're probably in the 22% tax bracket or lower, um, you know, or even maybe the 24% tax bracket, given where tax rates are probably going to go, um, the Roth 401k, in my opinion, is probably a, a better bet um, because you you get the taxes off the table now, you jam it into the 401k, and it grows compound tax-free. Um, it's a pretty good deal. Um, so, yeah, Al, what's, what's your two cents? Yeah, well, I, I do agree with his points as well. And, and I would say uh, you don't necessarily need to have 100% of your retirement in a, in a Roth or a Roth 401k because what, what tends to happen if, when people go that route, and it's, it's, it's a great idea, but when, when they go that route, then they're generally they're paying higher taxes now because they're not getting a tax deduction in exchange for paying zero taxes later. I'd actually rather have some income in retirement to fill up a 10 and 12% bracket, maybe the future 15% bracket. So I think a, a balance is in order, but all the points are right. The Roth grows tax-free forever. And it's not just the contribution, it's the principal interest growth, all that's tax-free and it's tax-free for you and your beneficiaries. Now there's a new rule when you pass away that uh, that the, there is a required minimum distribution for your beneficiaries and they have to drain that account within 10 years. So just be aware of that. But as long as you and or your spouse are living, there is no RMD. Uh, we think it's a, a great way to go because you get a lot more tax diversification, a lot more control of your taxes in retirement. But just be mindful of how much tax you're paying now in exchange for what you're gonna save later. 
Yeah, and it's impossible, right, to know that because you're predicting the future of what you believe tax rates are going to be. Um, This is a great strategy if you don't, you know, you're like, you know what, I just want to get the uncertainty of taxes off the table and just put it into the Roth, out of sight, out of mind. You pay a little bit of tax, right? No one saves the tax deduction anyway. So um, by all means, I think if someone's say, no, I want my tax deduction, we'll just say, well, then that's going to grow. <clears throat> think of it like this. So if, if you have $50,000 and you get a tax deduction for that $50,000, um, and I'm running out of time, but I, I, I'm going to do it anyway. Let's just say to, to make the math super simple, right? So let's say you have $100,000 that you contribute uh, hypothetically, into a retirement account, you get a tax deduction for that, right? So $100,000, you save $25,000 in tax if you're in the 25% tax bracket, right? So Jeremy's a younger guy, right? And then, so let's say over 30 years, that $100,000 turns into a million dollars and you take the million dollars out. So you get a $25,000 tax deduction, Hypothetically, the hundred thousand grows to a million dollars. Then you take the million dollars out at twenty-five percent. What are you paying tax? Right, two hundred fifty thousand. So you got a twenty-five thousand dollar tax deduction to pay two hundred fifty thousand in the future. So you could say a, a dollar. You could use a hundred dollars. You could use a thousand dollars. You could use ten. I like a hundred. I like the bigger numbers, Al. It makes yeah, a bigger do. impact. I'm with you, right? Yeah. yeah. Or you could say, you know what? I'll forego the twenty-five thousand dollar tax deduction today and let the hundred thousand dollars grow to a million. And I pull the million dollars out all tax-free. I save the two hundred fifty thousand dollars on the back end. So a lot of ways to to slice this thing. Uh, but yeah, if if you want to take the uncertainty of taxes off the table in the future, the Roth IRA is the best way to go. Got a few derails for you at the end of today's episode and next week. As I mentioned, to celebrate episode 300 of Your Money, Your Wealth, it'll be a whole show of derails, outtakes, and the funniest moments from the YMYW podcast. Join us, won't you? Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss it. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6. 257 for your free financial assessment. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. I remember, I think it was after Chris Thornburg, I bought this. It's like a children's book on, on the economy, just so I could <laughs> know something. <with> pictures. <laughs> That's awesome. like this story about fish, and fish became currency and multiplied. <laughs> and everyone had fish. And then you had to, you had to, had to trade 100 fish to get a loaf of bread. <laughs> okay, I got it now. <laughs> I think I still got it. I'll bring it in, Jeff. <laughs> Andy, do you hear that? Can we get like an on-air button um, for the Clopine family? Actually, I think that might be here. I oh. think that might be in my house. Let me close my door. <laughs> Someone's doing some dishes or clanking some coffee cups. Something, yeah. Um, but I sound like a big owl? No, you're tall. So you look like you should be big owl. You should be Big Joe, right? Not beautiful Joe. Oh my God. <laughs> I've never heard anyone say beautiful Joe. <laughs>
Big crazy. head Joe. <laughs> it's crazy. It's hard. It's hard to get out of there. Um, anyway. <laughs>